Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense, Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. We have another bonus day of the podcast as we discuss the greatest players to wear the number 15 in the NFL with Aaron Harris of the Football Odyssey podcast coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we're podcasting from the Pigpen in Western Pennsylvania to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff supplying us with the tunes, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com, and welcome to this bonus coverage on our Football by Numbers series, where we discuss the greatest players ever to wear a certain jersey number, and today, our topic is the number 15s, and we have a great guest coming on today, a football historian, has his own website, has his own podcast, The Football Odyssey, and uh, just a great all-around football historian. Aaron Harris joins us today, and you can find his podcast on the Football Odyssey uh, dot com website and on a sports history network and he shares some great insight on these number 15s and i hope you enjoy this presentation we have for you for this episode on our football by numbers podcast going to talk about the 15s and we have a special guest here from the football odyssey podcast on the sports history network we have aaron harris aaron welcome to the pig pen thanks for having me darren Aaron, if you could start off just to let our listenership know a little bit about uh, what you do on the Football Odyssey. and uh... Yeah, man. So it's a podcast that originally started off as a blog last year. It was predominantly based around football history, talking about um, you know some of the foundations of the game, which I know you do on your website, too, about the history of the line of scrimmage or maybe the history of the huddle. And some were more about the business side of it. Others were just, you know, kind of obscure topics like the history of some minor league football teams or the history of football in Japan. Uh, and then I think it was June or July of 2020 where I decided to do a podcast to have a little more of an interactive side of it. And I wanted to carry the same sort of spirit that I do on the blog with the podcast where I have people on from all different vantage points and backgrounds within football. So whether it's a former coach, a player, a fan, filmmaker, author, I wanted to have a good variety of guests that can offer a unique perspective on the game at every level. Um, So that's just really what I'm trying to get out of it, you know, just have good conversations about a wide variety of topics within our game of football. Wow, nice. Now, what what brought your interest to football, the the passion that you have? Is there like any one thing or uh, a group of incidents that uh, sort of brought Aaron Harris into the football realm of uh, wanting to have a podcast and a blog? Well, it probably goes back to when I was, I must have been, I think, in fourth grade. I was 
I'm a Steeler fan, so the first game that I actually ever watched. I like you more already. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, the, the first game I watched was um, the 2005 divisional game against Indianapolis when Jerome Bettis fumbled at the one-yard line. Oh, yeah. And ben, had, ben had to make that tackle. Oh, you're, um, you're, I'm getting a sick stu- a feeling in my stomach all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cato June just knocked that ball right out. Everybody got anxiety, and that was the first game because I had never really been a big football fan before that. You know, my father would ask if I wanted to sit down and watch it, and I just didn't. Uh, but we were at a family event, and I ended up just watching the game with everybody. And I also had a neighbor that moved next to me that I went to school with who was a major football fan as well. So I would throw the football with him in the backyard. So I guess the, initially it was the camaraderie. And then when I got older, I played briefly in high school. Uh, I fell in love with the strategy the strategic part of the game uh you know it's a game that has a lot of imagination and creativity behind it so you could spend just hours investing yourself in it um and then just the the history part of it too you know it's a narrative that spans all the way back to you know depending on who you talk to but officially i guess 1880 when the game started to really take shape and just the amount of people that have come and played football have been associated with it you know, the amount of organizations and institutions that have been built around it. You know, there's just never ending stories to hear. So I'm, I'm glad you said 1880, because there's so many people that go back to that 1869 Princeton Rutgers game, which was basically a soccer game. Uh, the 1880s, like really, that's when Walter Camp really put the stamp of what American football is. And that, that's a big distinction there. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems that Harvard-McGill game is kind of like the official record that you can go off of to when it started to form what we view as football. Uh, yeah, obviously, like, like, like you mentioned, it was essentially in 1869 soccer that had some sort of blocking. You know, you had guys that would interlock their arms in front of the guys that were dribbling the ball with their feet. Uh, you could hit it with your fist to pass to one another, but you couldn't catch it or grab it. Um, so the 1880s is, I think, that era in which football really started to take shape as we would recognize it. I, I totally agree. Everything that you say, some of your motivations and uh, being a Steeler fan and saying 1880, I really feel we have a kindred spirit going on here. We're going to have a great discussion. But uh, what we brought you on for today uh, is we're going to talk about uh, we have our Football by Numbers series going on. We're trying to find the greatest NFL players in the 100 plus years of the NFL that have wore certain jersey numbers. And we're on the number 15 tonight. And we're sure glad you could join us. And and uh, I, I guess what we want to do is we want to come up, you and I agree, and we may have some uh, bartering going on and trying to convince one another, but we want to have a top 10 of the number 15s in NFL history. And I think we can do that. We've, we've got some good uh, good players here to talk about. And sort of uh, normally where we start is we look at see what the Pro Football Hall of Fame has to say. And... They have three players listed on the Pro Football Hall of Fame's website that wore the number 15 that are in the Hall of Fame. And the first one they have listed, I'm not sure how much long he wore the number because I don't see where he wore the number 15 on anything. But the Pro Football Hall of Fame is, I'm going to go with what they say more than what I can find. And that's uh, Johnny Blood McNally they have is wearing the number 15. Another one, a very famous 15, is Bart Starr. Mm-hmm. And another one, maybe not as famous, is Steve Van Buren. And maybe those three are where we ought to start our discussion, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, number one, I think, obviously, I think you would agree Bart Starr is the one that is probably ranked number one wearing 15. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, the guy, you know, he's a five-time world champ. He's a guy that oftentimes gets labeled as a field general. And I think, you know, to a degree, deservingly so. Uh, but I think if you ask any or if you listen to any of his teammates talk or any of his opponents, you know, they'll say he was the guy that did play the percentages, but he was a big play guy as well. Um, um, Bill Curry, I think, mentioned once, and actually uh, Zeke Barkowski, his backup, even said that if it was fourth and one and they were going to do a play-action pass, Bart was going to hit that for a touchdown or, you know, if not a long gain. And I, th- I think he had one season. I think the, the season they won the Super Bowl, the second world championship, I think he had only three interceptions out of like 260, 265 pass attempts, which wow. is an outstanding, yeah, outstanding, yeah. And something that I think that's interesting about him that isn't really, or that offense in general, is uh, Zimmerman, Paul Zimmerman in his book, The Thinking Man's Guide to Pro Football, he talked about the Packers passing game. That's actually a little more complex because Lombardi gave his receivers the freedom to run option routes depending on the coverage they saw. So if they had zone coverage or if they had double man, they had the freedom to kind of change their routes depending on what they had, kind of like what the run and shoot offense was doing in the 80s. So for Bart to have to read the defense and then read his receivers' adjustments just shows his intellect that he provided to his team in the game. So, yeah, I think you have to put him at number one for 15. Uh, I mean, just the uh... – Take him out of the passing route. I mean, the guy's a gamer. The coldest game in well, one of the yeah. coldest games in NFL history, the Ice Bowl. He takes that uh, winning, scores a winning touchdown with you know seconds left. Yeah. You know, that, and it couldn't be. Uh, it had to be kind of painful running a ball after playing a full game like that in those temperatures. And it was pretty extreme. So yeah, Bart Starr, I think definitely top of the list. I I agree with you there. Now, who who'd you like to lock, talk to about next or talk about next? Well, for number two, I went to Steve Van Buren. And I went to him because he had – he was the first back to have multiple 1,000-yard seasons. He was a two-time NFL champ. And he was the first back that actually had three consecutive rushing titles, which actually only a couple other backs have done since then, uh, which is actually is an impressive record because the NFL has some, had some great rushers over the course of the uh, their history. Um yeah, he was the first player to have over 10 rushing touchdowns at a time when there was 12 games. Um, and by the time he retired, you know, he had almost every rushing record by 1951. So a guy that really came in and dominated position, you have to put him, in my opinion, number two. Oh, absolutely. I mean, played eight seasons in the NFL and was a five-time All-Pro. That's a pretty good percentage for being All-Pro. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're, 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 or so, you know. Yeah, you're putting up consistent numbers that way. And also won the two championships, like you said. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of that offense was on his shoulders in Philadelphia. Great, great eagle running back. Yeah. All right. Um, now, how about Johnny Blood McNally? We've we've had him come up on a couple other numbers. Uh, Warren Rogan uh, just shared with us uh, back in the numbers tens or elevens. Warren Rogan had a, a real good story about Johnny McNally. Uh, Johnny Blood McNally, how he got his name and everything. That was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, what, what do you have on Johnny Blood? He, I think he's a guy that kind of is lived on by his stories and his off-the-field antics than he is on the field because, you know, guys coming from that, you know, pre-statistic era in the 20s and 30s, you're not going to find too many official numbers on them. Uh, but from what I gather, I, I went to the Packers' website and saw some of his information that they provided. I guess unofficially, he actually had 33 picks by the time he retired, and he had 10 receiving touchdowns as a back in 1931. And I unofficially had over 2,400 yards from scrimmage. So the guy, in addition to being a character off the field, he definitely played hard. 
um, seemed to be a jack of all trades. So he was a guy that probably fit in perfectly with that sort of improvised game that was played back in that time. And you know what? I just, uh, as you were talking here, looking at his stats, I did find where he wore number 15, and it was with the Steelers in 1937. Oh, okay. I, I didn't see that earlier. Yeah, he's had just about every number in the, the book here, I think. So that's why we've talked about him quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, Warren Rogan had a really interesting story how he got his name. Um, I guess uh, what he said, it was him and his partner, uh, what's the gentleman's first name? I think it was Ralph. Ralph Sand, maybe? I, mm-hmm. I, I forget what it was. The, uh, the actor? Uh, no, that another player. That, another player. That, okay. What they did is uh, Johnny McNally and this uh, whoever this other player was. They had uh, they wanted to keep uh, playing, have their college career go on. So they changed their names to get more eligibility out of it because back then they really couldn't check. And uh, they were driving by a movie theater and stopped and said, you know, Rudolph Valentino in Blood and Sand. So they each took the name, you know, Johnny Blood took the name Blood and the other gentleman took the last name Sand and, you know, the rest is history. That's what they went on with the rest of their football careers and their pro football careers. It's kind of an interesting story. Yeah, that's funny. Warren tells it much better than I did, but uh, (laughs) that was the gist (laughs) of it. But, uh, yeah, great player, Johnny Blood, a great name. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny, too, like when you talk about eligibility, how those guys would just travel from team to team. Like, uh, you know, they would finish playing a game one day, then they would drive to the next town right after they finished that game to play with someone else. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. And play multiple games in a week. You know, that's unheard of now. You can't even have multiple padded practices in the in pro game now. So. Sure, if any. <laughs> right. Okay, well, those are our, our three layups we had there We had that the Hall of Fame gave us. Now it gets a little more challenging. We have a list of 100 years of, of players that wore number 15. We need to maybe have some people to talk about to try to fill our list in here. So who would you like to talk about in number 15 in NFL history? Well, I think a lot of people, like history buffs, may uh, criticize me for putting this player this high, but i got to put Mahomes on there at number four. Uh, purely because I think he's just the face of the game right now. And he, he has just all the attributes that you want to see from a quarterback. Uh, you know, physically, he's just perfect for the role. He's got a very intelligent mind for the game. You know, he's able to see pre-snap, post-snap. You know, he's got – he threw 50 touchdowns his very first year as a starter. You know, I think now he has 114 passing touchdowns and only 24 picks, which is outstanding. Yeah, and I know, and I know the game today obviously isn't as physical as some of the other guys. But you know, when you're going up against the uh, you know the amount of defenses that you have to recognize nowadays, and he has a good cast around him. But you know, the guy is just uh, I just think he's a star in every sense of the word. And you know, he's 38 and eight as a starter. So three AFC championship games, two Super Bowls, a Super Bowl MVP. You know, yeah, so. I mean it's it, it's incredible. I mean, you know, I, I'm really curious to see you know ten years down the road. Um, obviously, I don't think anybody is gonna, you know, be pushing twenty plus years like Tom is. But you know, if, if he gets a fifteen year career, I mean, he might put some of the records in the record books out of reach for anybody for a while. Oh, he certainly may. Yeah. Now, I was I've discussed this uh, when we were, we had Fran Tarkington. We talked about Fran Tarkington in number tens. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw Peyton Manning's uh, television program, Peyton's Places. They're in season two on ESPN Plus, and he goes and visits a, a football legend usually, and they go and talk about that person's career, and he has some fun with them. When Fran Tarkington, they took a video of Fran Tarkington in his heyday, the way he scrambled, and put Patrick Mahomes' scrambling ability side by side. It was uncanny 
I, I you know, I, I watched oh, yeah? Tarkenton play. I remember him playing. Uh, you know, I remember the Steelers playing him in Super Bowl nine, and almost the same dropback. You know, it's their first escape routes, like straight back, and then they've you know twist and turn and have these sharp uh, turns of drive defenders crazy and then you know launch a ball with a fr- flick of the wrist you know on target you know 40 yards downfield and it's yeah. just uncanny but yeah I, I definitely agree Mahomes should be on that list and high because he's one of the greatest 15s already in his short career just to go off the the comparison between Mahomes and the um, France Arkenton do you think that early Ben Roethlisberger and France Arkenton could be compared in that same light too I, I don't know if I would say Ben was more of a a lumbering quarterback. You know, he still is, but even his younger years, you know, he was just a, a brute. You know, yeah. I, I, for Fran Tarking, it was a, a smaller quarterback that just was very agile and just a you know, like many defenders. I think Deacon Jones said he was a real pain in his ass. You know, because he couldn't yeah. couldn't catch him. You know, it was like catching a chicken. You know, <laughs> so yeah. Well, well, the play that made me think of possibly a comparison was the Super Bowl play against the, uh, I think, the Super Bowl Forty Three against the Cardinals, where Ben was, it was third down, and he's like scrambling, he's turning all over the place, and he hits a first down to Heath Miller over the middle. Huh? It was early in the game. It, it, to me, it just looked like such a, a backyard play where he's like spinning in every direction. And when I see like the old uh, highlights of France Argentina, it's the same ordeal. Just kind of looks yeah. like he's spinning in every which direction, but he always makes it. That's interesting. You're, you know, you're maybe, maybe right there. You have some comparisons that they, you know, once the they leave the pocket, they have that just, you know, uncanny ability of making a play. But yeah, you're, you're right. That Roethlisberger has those qualities that uh, I just don't. I just don't think of him as the scrambler that Fran Tarkington was or Mahomes are. It has been you know? years. Yeah. 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 Todd Haley. Yeah. Todd Haley cracked the whip. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and this past year, you know, it's just get rid of the ball, you know, two-step drop and fire it. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. So. two steps is being generous. Right, right. All right, so so far on our list, you know, just to review, we have Steve Van Buren, we have Johnny Blood McNally, Bart Starr at the top, and now we've added Patrick Mahomes into our mix. So now we have four of our ten spots filled up. Who else would you like to talk about as one of the greatest 15s? So I have Jack Kemp on there. And what what stands out to me is what stands out to me is that he actually had 40 rushing touchdowns, and I'm not sh- I'm not sure where that fits all the time. I mean, I, I would imagine it has to be at the very least a top 10, and if anything, I'd almost say it's a top five. But yeah, that that's an impressive stat that I wasn't really expecting when I was looking him up, and um, he also had a, a 15 yards per completion, which is an insane. <laughs> which is an insane rate to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, he was a big play guy. He won a couple AFL titles, AFL MVP, a couple All Pros. Uh, his numbers weren't as impressive with some of the other players of his time, but you know, he, he made himself a recognizable name, and you know, he was able to stick around for a long time. So you got to give him credit for that. Absolutely, I think that's. A, I also had him on my list too. Yeah, I think he was definitely a gamer and uh, went on to be a you know a U.S. Uh, was a House of Representatives or Senator. You know, he was Kemp yeah, something, was, he, something, some, that, something yeah. in the government. Uh, so he made name for himself even after football. So, but he was a he was a great leader. I don't remember much of him playing, um, but um, you know just things you read about him. In our area, I'm 100 miles away from Buffalo, and people still talk about Kemp as uh, oh, is that true? Quarterbacks, yeah. So. So yeah, that's a, yeah. That seems like a town that's always going to remember their uh, their heroes, no matter like what era they played in. Right, right. They definitely do. 
Definitely do. They might want to forget about OJ now, but uh, yeah. <laughs> the other ones they they do remember. I don't, I don't know, man. There's still a lot of people that like uh, have feelings for him as a player. You know, just oh, from, like yeah. watching him as kids. I mean, there's some people that just like remember him as that iconic running back and they, just a stellar he career. Definitely he had. was. Yeah, yeah as a it's, player, even even his well, USC days. You know, great player. Yeah, it's it's weird for me because you know, as long as I've been alive, he's always been you know OJ the murderer, but. <laughs> Or I should yeah, you know, OJ yeah. man. He, he was always the murder, a, but, sort of a nefarious uh, yeah. outlook to him. So I agree. And, okay, a rap, I, and a rapper as well. So, Oh, I, I don't know if I know that part of OJ, but uh, maybe <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah, uh, no. But I definitely agree Kemp should be on that list too. Okay, so now we got five of them locked up for our NFL's greatest number 15s in history. Who, who do we want to talk about next that could possibly be on that list? Well, the, the one other person I had, because, you know, getting a top 10 list was kind of a struggle for this number. But one person I had as sort of like a, a number six or like honorable mention was Earl Morrill. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think he he has some pretty interesting superlatives for a guy that was kind of a journeyman. He was actually voted the MVP for the Dolphins when they went 17-0. And that's, right. a, that, that, that's an impressive feat because, you know, when, when Greasy went down and he came in, yeah, that's that's not a and he came in for an extended period of time. I think he came in for like nine games, yeah, maybe even more right. than that. So like, uh, you know, he he definitely had to fill fill in some pretty big shoes, but he did it. You know, he led the Colts to that '68 season that ultimately ended in massive disappointment. But you know, they still had a stellar season that year, and you know, he came in and relieved Johnny Unitas in the biggest game uh, in Super Bowl five and led them to a victory. So, you know, he's a guy that was definitely a journeyman. Maybe didn't have no stellar career, but you know he definitely had his moments. Yeah, those were definitely those were his two All Pro seasons. You know, with the Colts when they that season where they lost to the Jets in the Super Bowl and that the undefeated Miami season. He went nine and zero in that season, All Pro both those seasons as a backup quarterback, not too shabby. Yeah. And uh, he, I mean, he he played all over the place. You know, the Giants and the Lions, uh, Steelers, San Francisco brought him in. Uh, yeah, just a. He was, very solid quarterback, but uh, sort of coming off the bench, he was sort of that that guy, you know, the hero that would be the serviceable guy to keep the the team. Yeah, he's al- he's almost like uh, Nick Foles before Nick Foles in a way. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good uh, similarity there. Yes, absolutely. All right, I I agree with you. I think Earl, Earl Morrill should be on our our list, and that that takes us to kind uh, of lost count now six, I believe. Mm-hmm. So we have four four spots that we can talk about here. Who do you think that we should put on there? Well, now these are kind of stretches because, like you said, it's kind of slim pickings here. But I think that Brandon Marshall ought to be under consideration to be on here. And uh, yeah. Brandon, wore, Brandon wore the number 15 for 12 seasons. Okay, and let's just go over some of his numbers. 970 receptions. 12,351 yards. 83 touchdowns. His, uh Made it to six Pro Bowls and was an All-Pro once in his career. He's bounced around a little bit. Uh, you know, played for Denver, Miami, Chicago, the Jets, the Giants, and his latest gig was with Seattle in 2018. I believe he retired then. I think he had a good enough career to make this list of number 15s in my book. Yeah, I think I think 12,000 yards is definitely his most impressive career statistic. Yeah, he he did have some really good years. I think Denver and Chicago were probably his two most solid 
uh, destinations that, that he had in his career. Um, yeah, I don't think he was ever probably in the top five receivers when he was playing, but he was always a guy that you knew was going to come out and give you some good good production. He was always yeah. a safe guy to pursue if you were ever you know trying to get someone in free agency or you could always rely on him. Yeah, I, I think he's deserving of the top fifteen. And, or, and I yeah, and I have to mention this, or our our partner on the Sports History Network, uh, Jeremy McFarland, will get mad, but. Uh, Jay Cutler's the one who threw him a lot of those touchdown passes. So, Jeremy, yeah. th- there's your your spotlight for your your guy J- Jay Cutler. He he loves Jay Cutler. So, yeah, I, I like I like Jay in a lot of ways too. And another name that I had up, and this is going a little old school, is uh, Babe Pirelli. Now, Babe uh, played uh, from 1952 to 1969. Where that number that didn't have the greatest record. He was 49 and 45 and seven as a as a starter, but he did. Uh, make it to three Pro Bowls, was an All-Pro one year, was a Super Bowl champion, and won an AFL championship at quarterback position. You know, he he played, started off in Green Bay, uh, played a season in Cleveland in the 50s, you know, in the Jim Brown era. Mm-hmm. Uh, went back to Green Bay, played with Oakland in the AFL when they started out. Uh, played with the Boston Patriots uh, through much of the 60s in the AFL. And then finished up with the Jets. Uh, you know, his one Super Bowl win was the 69 Jets sitting behind. Uh, it was a backup to uh, Joe Namath, of course. Was a very serviceable quarterback. And um, I, I think he's probably in contention, had uh, 220, I'm sorry, 220 interceptions, 178 touchdowns. <laughs> Wasn't a great ratio there. Almost got that reversed. But I, I think sort of the, uh, you know, having the three Pro Bowls and the one All-Pro and an AFL championship that he was a starter on definitely puts him in the mix. I'm not, yeah, I'd I'm say on the so. fence about him. I'm on the fence well, about him. but Yeah, well, I, I think given the slim pickings, you kind of, you would definitely include him. I mean, if you're on the Boston Patriots in the 60s, you're definitely going to be throwing more interceptions than you are touchdowns. Yeah, but, that's you know, for sure. <laughs> they, they did have some good years, though. I'm not sure. if Was he on the team when they won the – they won a championship in the early 60s, didn't they? Or they lost to the uh, Chargers, actually. Was he on yeah, that team? Yeah, yeah. But he was, he was on Boston from 1961 through 1967 season. So that first year of the AFL, he was in Oakland. He was a Raider. Okay. Okay. And then his last two years of the AFL, right before the merger, was he was a Jet. So, gotcha. Okay. Well, he got a championship after all, so. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. I'm not sure where he got where the championship was. Um, With the Jets. Uh, it could be if they. Well, maybe they did. '66 did Boston win it in '66 the AFL? I, I'm not that familiar with the AFL. No, Oakland did. Championships. Oakland. No, I, well, yeah. The, well, the '65 to '66 season was the Chiefs, and then the '67 or the '66 to '67 year was um, Oakland. You know, some some people count the actual calendar year when the championship game is played. Some people count when the season actually started. So, okay, uh, it, yeah. it's kind of weird. Sometimes you can never. I, I have to clarify, but yeah, the the 1966 season, I believe, going into 1967 was. Oakland winning and going and losing to Green Bay in the second Okay, Super Bowl. but he he would have been on Boston at that time. Was, Oakland was only in 1960. He was only one season in Oakland. Oh, okay. So that, that, maybe it was the Jets. Maybe maybe that's the AFL championship they're talking about when they went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, most most likely. And they, I think that's the game. They, I think they beat the Raiders to get there, too. Yeah, I think you're right. You're right. Yeah. So maybe that's the one that they have on the, the pro football references who I'm looking at on that. 
But uh, all in all, I think you know Babe Pirelli is definitely a candidate to be on that list of one of those yeah. four spots. We'll we'll come back to him later and uh, see if we still want to consider him. You know, so we got some other names that uh, I'm not sure about here. You know, we got like Jeff Hostetler, who did win a Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, with the Giants. A couple weeks ago, I actually rewatched that game, and he actually oh, okay. did. A, he did. He did a pretty. I, I think I've seen that game once before, but I rewatched it a couple weeks ago, and he actually did a lot better than I have remembered. You know, I think obviously Otis Anderson had a terrific game in the defense too, but you know, I think Jeff actually pulled his own weight in that game as well. You know, he played very smart, and I haven't seen any of his other games. You know, I, I guess for being in the in the right place at the right time and fulfilling his role, yeah, he, we we could definitely put him on there. Yeah, I mean, as a record, 51-32 and 32 as a starter, 94 touchdowns in his career, 71 interceptions. You know, not ho- great, but not horrible. Not not ba- Babe Pirelli horrible. You yeah. Know? yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, had that Super Bowl victory. Um, and, you know, he was uh, at one Pro Bowl. You know, he Actually, he, went on, he won, was on two Super Bowl winning teams, one of the Raiders teams, or, or maybe it was the early Giants. One of the early Giants. Maybe Super the 80, 86 Giants. Yeah, he was he was on the Giants from '85 through '92, so it must have been uh, that first Super Bowl under Parcells that uh, the Giants won. So, but more 15 his whole career, so yeah, know, it's a good long career. So, I actually I I'm leaning towards maybe we ought to put him on the list now because that's not a bad career for yeah, you know, had some I good think years he was. He he also played some snaps at a receiver too, didn't he? He could have. I don't remember that. Yeah, he was a. Uh, he was a pretty athletic guy. It was kind of deceivingly fast, I guess you say, or athletic. But I think I read somewhere that he actually played a little receiver too. I don't oh, know if it was interesting. Yeah, I don't know if it was for the Giants or if he was in college. But I think he's definitely played receiver at, at some point. Huh. I I did not know that. I'll have to check that out later. But uh, I th- I think he's he's probably worthy that we could probably put him on there. Maybe fill that seventh spot with uh, with uh, Mr. Hostetler. The other one I'm thinking of is. Uh, Michael Crabtree is his board number fifteen. He worked for ten seasons uh, yeah. in his career. Some of, some of his numbers, you know, he's uh, seven thousand four hundred ninety nine yards, uh, fifty four touchdowns, six hundred thirty seven receptions. Uh, kind of a hot and cold receiver, you know. Had those, came out with San Francisco those first four or five years and was just uh, you know lights out. Uh, played played a few with Oakland and then uh, Baltimore and Arizona at the end of his career in 2019 is when his career ended. But uh, you know, with the slim pickings, he is uh, definitely in there. He I don't show him making a Pro Bowl or being an All Pro or anything like that. But um, decent receiver, maybe under consideration. Yeah, I think he had some solid years, especially when he was in San Francisco. I mean, yeah, I think. If it not if it weren't for Seattle, I think San Francisco. Well, I, I shouldn't say only for Seattle, but San Francisco. Those three or four years with Harbaugh had some tremendous, tremendous talent, um, and he was definitely a guy that you know gave you know Alex Smith and Kaepernick uh, you know some good some good games. You know he was always he was always hustling. He was a pretty good receiver, I think. I mean, I think a lot of people remember him too. Whenever uh, that NFC Championship game, I, th- I don't know, I think it was twenty fourteen when. Uh, What's his name? Richard Sherman had tipped the pass at the corner of the end zone. Oh yes, yes. and then he had that post game on the best corner in the game, and he was just talking smack about Crabtree. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. You're right. Yeah, you're right. So, now, this is kind of an interesting thing. Just looking at his stats, he never once in his career had double digit touchdowns in a season. He hit. Really? He had nine uh, 
nine receptions in two different seasons and eight receptions in two different seasons, and the rest are, you know, lower than that. But uh, never double-digit touchdowns in one season, which kind of surprises me. Yeah, I guess I guess maybe he was more of like the possession type, which is kind of strange because he also played uh, – he had a couple seasons where he played with Anquan Bolden. And Anquan, Bol- and Anquan Bolden in his own right was a really good receiver, but I think he was definitely more of a possession guy too. Sort of, you know, that kind definitely. of Mr. Reliable catch and get the tough yard sort of receiver. Definitely. But I, I think maybe he's on our consideration list, too. We got him him and Pirelli on our uh, our list here because we still got to find three more here. Um, Golden Tate is another wide receiver that's uh, kind of a similar career path as uh, Crabtree. Um, just some numbers of him. He's had 695 career receptions. 8,278 yards receiving, 46 touchdowns, uh, has been to one Pro Bowl and one one Super Bowl. So, yeah, I think with I, the Giants. Yeah, I think I would put Tate on before I'd put Crabtree on. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think his I think his best days were probably when he was in Seattle. Yeah, most definitely. I, I agree yeah. with you. Yeah, and and he was he played for the Lions uh, a couple years ago, right? Yes. Before, before, yeah, yeah, he had some good yeah. years with the Lions too. He was always a yeah, guy had, that was, you know, capable. Always, he was, he was always good enough to stand out in the league. Kind of like Brandon Marshall was never a guy that was a top five or even a top ten receiver, but you know, he he did well for himself. Yeah, he had four and a half seasons with Detroit till they traded him to Philadelphia in the twenty eight middle of the twenty eighteen season. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna put him on our our standby list here when we're coming down to our decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for our three, another uh, gentleman that wore f- for quite a while that's sort of a, a big name in football is Tom Flores, who's known a little bit more as a a coach than he is uh, for his playing days. But he was a quarterback uh, that played. He played for you know, of course, the Raiders for about uh, six seasons, and played with Buffalo in the AFL for a couple seasons, sixty-seven, sixty-eight after their championship years, and uh, then Buffalo and Kansas City in sixty-nine. So played on some good, a- great AFL teams, you know, with those three in the sixties. Uh, his numbers are he had uh, you know, ninety-three touchdowns, ninety-two interceptions, and his record as a starter was thirty-one and thirty-three. So. Maybe uh maybe it wasn't such a great quarterback, but a pretty good coach. <laughs> yeah, he he strove just to be like a little bit better than average. I mean, right? Yeah, I don't, I I'm not familiar with his playing career really at all, but you know, um, definitely as a coach, you know, he's a guy that I think you have to have respect for. I mean, those Raiders teams in the '80s weren't a team to mess with. Um, but you know, to to play in the AFL during those days, you know, I mean, you definitely had to have an arm to be in the uh, in that league, so. I guess yeah, he, he, def- he definitely proved some worth. He's in the Hall of Fame, but I believe it's probably for his coaching and not his, his playing. Yeah, that's uh, re- that's recent, isn't it? I uh, yeah, I don't I don't have that number up in front of me. Uh, yeah, I, I think yeah, I think that was just uh, I think that was in the past year, maybe this most recent class that he was just elected in. It could be okay. Yeah. So the class where Bill Cower and. Um, Jimmy Johnson went in as coaches, maybe. That was the 2020 class. Yeah, either that one or I think the most recent one they have now, the one with, uh, I think, Payne Manning's oh, the 2021 class. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I think, I think he's in that group. Okay. And, uh, you know, one Pro Bowl as a player, a Super Bowl, and an AFL championship. I guess he, he had some uh, good hardware for from a player, but uh, I don't know that uh, I'd even put him under consideration. But 
definitely want to mention him because he is a, a big name that's on that list. Yeah. Uh, another one that I remember because of uh, he played on the Rams uh, against the Steelers in the Super Bowl fourteen, I believe it was, is Vince Ferragamo. Uh, he was kind of an interesting story, you know, back in the day. He was, but he was 27 and 26 as a starter, a little over 11,000 yards, uh, 76 touchdowns, 91 interceptions. That's probably why he wasn't a starter for very long. But he did lead a team to the Super Bowl, and uh, it was a, made a game of it in the, the second half. You know, the Steelers were dominating and brought the Rams back. Uh, I think it was late in the third quarter, if I remember correctly. Worth yeah, mentioning. He, yeah, he's not a guy that I'm familiar with. I've seen the Super Bowl, but. Uh, yeah, the, the Rams uh, that year seemed to be kind of a, a a dark horse team to make the Super Bowl. But, I mean, give, give them credit where credit is due. I guess another dark horse I'm going to throw out there is another sort of old-time quarterback, Craig Morton, were number 15 for two seasons. You know, Craig was sort of another one of those journeyman quarterbacks. Uh, his overall quarterback record, not bad, 81-62-1, and 62 and one, threw for just under 28,000 yards, 183 touchdowns, 187 interceptions, but uh, did take the uh, Denver Broncos to play in a Super Bowl late in his career. Um, he played played with Dallas for many, many seasons uh, through mid-60s to the early 70s, uh, sort of yeah. got the, uh, the, the center warmed up for Staubach to come in there. And uh, then played you know, a couple of years with the Giants and then Denver for the last uh, six years of his career. I think he was also the quarterback when they lost to Baltimore in Super Bowl five. I believe you're right. I yeah. believe you're right. Yeah, I, I would definitely put him in there. I mean, he's he's kind of a guy that I think is uh, kind of lost between uh, Don was Don Merritt was before him, correct? Yeah, Meredith, I think, yeah. was before that. Yeah, I think, yeah, he's kind of, like, uh, lost between Staubach and Meredith. But, yeah, I mean, he, he had some good years in Dallas, and he took, you know, two different organizations to Super Bowl. So, yeah, I would definitely put him in there. Okay, so you want, you will, maybe we'll lock him in there for our eighth spot. Right, and yeah. And I don't have really any other ones that uh, – were. I mean, there's plenty of players, but I don't have any other ones that are jumping out at me that should be, you know, there's, like, your Neil Lomaxes and uh, – you know some Michael Mike Phipps and uh, you know some kickers and punters in there that uh, you know definitely great players, but I don't know if they're the greatest. You know, yeah. to wear the number fifteen in the NFL. So, so who do we have on the uh, on the standby list? Oh, on our standby list, we have Babe Pirelli, Michael mm-hmm. Crabtree, and Golden Tate. I've so definitely put two of those. I would put Golden Tate in there. Golden Tate, okay. Yeah, I would. All right, I don't disagree with you on that. And one more spot for our between Pirelli and Crabtree. What about Bob? I mean, <laughs> my yeah. I guess we'll have to show some love for the older guys. I'm I'm biased towards the older guys, so I'm gonna give it to Bob. All right, I I agree with you. I think that's probably a fair assessment there because yeah. uh, he didn't have the greatest numbers, but he had some some hardware to go with that. So. Yeah. I have it as our top 10. Here's our official list that the Aaron and Darren top 10 15 players in the NFL. Steve Van Buren, Johnny Blood McNally, Bart Starr, Brandon Marshall, Jack Kemp, Babe Pirelli, uh, Jeff Hostetler, Patrick Mahomes, Earl Morrell, Golden Tate, and Craig Morton. There we go. It's All done. Right. All right. 
Well, I appreciate that. Um, we're going to have you back. I think you want to talk about number 16s on our ne- next episode. And uh, we get in there, we'll we'll talk about what you got going on with the Football Odyssey, what you got coming up next. Can't wait. All right, so, so I appreciate you being on, and uh, we'll see you next episode. All right, man. Thanks for having me on. What an excellent discussion we have with Aaron Harris. We really appreciate him joining us. And uh, you can hear more of Aaron Harris on the Football Odyssey podcast on sportshistorynumber.com. But in just a couple days, Aaron's going to join us once again for the greatest players that were the number 16 in football history and the NFL's history. And that is even a better conversation because there is some really big names that were the number 16 as well. And uh, we think you really enjoy that one. And uh, make sure you join us each and every day here. You can find us at pigskindispatch at gmail.com. You can email us at pigskindispatch.com is a website you can find us at and on the sportshistorynetwork.com. And make sure you hit up that uh, your favorite podcast provider to either follow or subscribe to our podcast. Because some days like today, we're dropping two podcasts in one day, and we want to make sure that you don't miss them and you get that football history into your headsets each and every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And uh, that's all we have for today. And so till tomorrow, everybody, have a great gridiron day. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians, you'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.